This week on the Sound on Sight Walking Dead podcast, we're talking about Consumed, Season 5, Episode 6, written by Matthew Negrete and Corey Reed, and directed by Steve Mann. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Sound On Sight Walking Dead podcast. This is Kate Kalsley, TV editor of Sound On Sight, and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, our editor-in-chief, Mr. Ricky D. Hello, Kate. How's it going? I'm good. I have some big news. Big news? I'm very excited. I did not know about this. What's the news? Yeah, I know. I started reading the Walking Dead comic book again. Guess what issue I'm on? <laughs> I have no idea. There's so many options. Did you jump ahead, or did you pick up where you left off? I pick up from where I left off. Um, I'm at issue number 132. Okay. Yeah, I spent the whole week reading comics. That is a lot. I mean, because you, you were pretty far, but you weren't that far, right? Um, No, not really. I think I've read about 100 issues. <laughs> In <Yeah>. the week? <laughs> In about a week and a half, yeah. Yep. That is pretty ridiculous uh, in a in a wonderful way, though, I got to say. Well, uh, this is a great time to say, like we always do at the start of the Walking Dead podcast, this is going to just cover this episode, this week's episode of The Walking Dead. I've not read the comics. Ricky clearly has read many of the comics, but we're going to keep our conversation to purely talking about this episode um, and anything that has come previously in the series or has already happened in the series and also happened in the comics. If you know, we, there might be a compare contrast of things that have already happened, but we won't get into any spoilers for what theoretically we know is going to happen. A, because we don't know what's going to happen and, and B, because you know, that's not cool. Uh, normally this would be when I would introduce our guests, but this week, because we had some behind the scenes uh, scheduling difficulties. So it'll just be the two of us. I, this is, this feels strange, Ricky. You know what the problem is, is, most of the people who we've invited in the past to co-host the podcast no longer watch The Walking Dead, which is a shame because season five is so far the best season. Yeah, it's really odd to me because uh, we, we, you know, we checked with a few of the, our wonderful because we've had great guests on this show and pretty much everyone either this just was a they couldn't do this week and they're looking forward to coming on later or they aren't watching the show anymore. And uh, I was surprised by the number of people even in this year of, of creative resurgence, there's been a lot more critical coverage and praise for the show. I was surprised that so many people, like people aren't jumping back on the bandwagon, even if some of the, the you know, big TV critics out there are recommending that people do so. Yeah. Well, you know, we have an equally popular podcast over at a website that you and I host called the Game of Thrones podcast. And we have a long list of people that want to come on and guest host. Whereas with the walking dead, I mean, we can't find hosts this week. We just had scheduling issues, but yeah, we have to go digging like into the internet to find someone to come on our show that can actually record at night and wants to actually review the season. But I, I bet if The Walking Dead season five ends on some of those best of end year lists, like uh, I think some of the critics might be willing to give it a chance again. But I think the reason why people stop watching is basically because of the governor. Mm -hmm. I mean, the governor coming back. Yeah. Again and again and again. <laughs> 
Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, the people that I talked to, I was, for example, I was talking um, on Twitter with Mo Ryan this uh, earlier today about some of our favorite Dollhouse alumni, and I mentioned that Enver Gilkash was on The Walking Dead. And she's like, "Oh, I, I totally didn't know that. I stopped watching because of the governor." And I was like, "Yeah, well, that's a good reason to stop." Have you know, as someone who has a weekly podcast about The Walking Dead, I still think that's a legitimate reason to have stopped watching it. But you know, that does mean that people who aren't watching it now are missing out somewhat. And so we should probably get into the this episode consumed uh, and say, and let me ask you, Ricky, I haven't had a chance to read your review yet. What did you think of this episode? And have they continued the trend this week? I like the episode. I think it's the weakest episode of the season so far, but it's still a pretty good episode. And I think the teaming of Carol and Daryl is a cause for celebration because they are the most beloved characters on the, on the television show. And I think their relationship has grown more and more fascinating with every season. I mean, we started uh, following Carol when she was basically being abused by her husband and she wouldn't fight back or stand up for herself nor her daughter. And in season two, she basically spent the majority of the season like whining or crying and not really looking for her daughter who was missing. And Daryl, I mean, there's one line she has in this episode where she looks at Daryl and she says, you've really changed. You've, You've gone from growing up from a boy to a man. And it's so true. Like these two characters have changed dramatically in, over the course of five seasons. And it's weird because in the past, you, myself, casual fans of the show have always said that character development isn't exactly something that the Walking Dead TV series does well. But I can't say that anymore because I think season five is doing a fabulous job in fleshing out these characters. And so I kind of like, you know, I do like this episode a lot, but it's still my least favorite episode of the season. But that's only because it's been such a great season. But what I really like about the focus of Carol and Daryl, apart from the fact that they're my two favorite characters. And also, I think I asked for an episode with just Carol and Daryl like last season. Um, But they're two survivors who have the most in common like out of everyone in the group they have the most in common like they're both emotionally complex characters how should i phrase this they 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 keep their emotions hidden you know as opposed to like say the rick and laurie's and and um and uh what's what what was her name like andrea etc etc like the characters in past that like to talk and talk and talk about their feelings they keep their emotions hidden and they don't really express what they are feeling unless it's with their actions um, but I think this episode gives us a, like a rare moment in which we actually get to see Daryl and Carol really, truly open up. But at the same time, it felt kind of repetitive. Like, did we learn anything new about these characters? Well, and when you say they have so much in common, I think it's also very important to, to note that they are both survivors of familial abuse. Um, we found out, you know, even putting aside Merle and his emotional abuse that we saw quite a bit of his brother, uh, Daryl, you know, over the course of the series, we also got the the, the episode with Beth and Daryl last year where we found a little bit about uh, found out a little bit about his background in his childhood. And uh, that, you know, Carol's history is very much for, uh, foregrounded in this episode. And the I, I really appreciate the way the show has not underlined her her history of of abuse and you know her where really where she came from there's been a couple moments about that in this season but on the whole they've just let the the audience think back and reflect back on you know where she's come from and and who who she was at the start of the series and who she is now uh but i think their shared understanding of uh, you know their their shared that shared history uh you know 
is mm-hmm. a big part of why they have this bond as well. There's a lot, they understand each other in a way that these other people that they're with, even, you know, they're very good friends, these people that they trust with their lives can't necessarily relate to. Um, and I like that while we do get some, like I said, some foregrounding of Carol's uh, baggage in this episode, I like that they don't have Daryl mention his brother or his father or any of that. They just, again, they trust the audience to remember that this is something that he would completely understand. Well, the thing is, is in this episode, Carol and Daryl actually have a night, like an entire night to stop and think and reflect. So it allows time for reflection, not just for the characters, but for us viewers, because usually they're on the go or they're shooting zombies or shooting the governor or et cetera, et cetera. Right. But this episode kind of slows down the pace at one point. So, yes, but at the end of the episode, Carol takes a book, Treating Survivors of Child Abuse. And I couldn't help but think that the book was actually meant for Daryl and not for her. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it would be a bit on the nose if it was for her. I mean, like, is she only starting to process that? She she doesn't seem like the kind of person who wants to sit down and read that book, you know? Um, But though maybe, who knows? Um, I hadn't thought of that though. I think that's, that's very interesting. I also want to say, I, I, and again, I, it, you know, it's been a couple of days since, since I watched this. Did she have, uh, Tom Sawyer or Huck Finn in her bag as well? I thought I saw her put a different book in her bag earlier, but it might be just that I saw like part of the title and it looked different. No clue. No clue. Well, our, listen, our listeners will have to let us know. Cause I just remember watching that and going like, oh, is that? Is that uh, Tom Sawyer or is that Huck Finn? One of those two. Oh, that's so great that, you know, it makes me like Carol all the more that she would want to take that with her if she saw it, picked it up. Of course, tying back to the episode we had recently in the bookstore, I was thinking about that as well. Um, But yeah, that's an interesting idea. Hmm. Well, there's a lot of interesting ideas in this episode. And um, I like the idea of fire as a reoccurring motif this week because we see smoke rising from the prison after the governor's attack. And then we see smoke rising from Terminus when Carol goes and saves Rick and his friends. Remember, she shoots like the torpedo slash rocket launcher. And then, and of course, I'm talking about in the flashbacks here. And then we see uh, Carol burning Karen and David's body, which happened at the prison. So again, fire. And then we see the final shot the final flashback, which involves Carol and Tyrese disposing of Lizzie and Mika's bodies, which once again brings us to fire. But then there's also this clever thing that Daryl does in which he lights up, I think it was like paper or something on fire and or a book, and he uses the fire to distract zombies. And so I just like the reoccurring motif of fire throughout this whole entire episode, and especially the way it ends on that final flashback when we do focus on her burning the body of Lizzie and Mika, because it's an image that will burn in her memory forever. Like it's something she'll never forget. And Daryl has like the most interesting line in this episode. He says, we ain't ashes because he's responding to her and how she feels like in present day and how she's emotionally devastated. Like, it's funny because she's still a very strong, independent, uh, brave, you know, um, what other words can I use to describe Carol at this point in time? Like, she's an interesting character, but she's like far from the Carol we met in season one. But she's still not necessarily the Carol that we know from the prison. Like, it's like her having to shoot. Was it Lizzie or Mika? I'm confused. I think it's Lizzie, right? I think it's Lizzie. Yeah. Yeah. Her having to shoot Lizzie just completely destroyed her. So I don't know. Like, see, the thing is, I kind of feel like Carol's going to die very soon because I just don't know what else the show creators can do with her character moving forward. 
like that would actually be interesting. I mean, she, yeah, she could be this badass warrior, but apart from being a badass warrior, what else can they do with Carol? So I just kind of feel like based on this episode and based on the way she feels and the way she talks, I kind of feel like the walking dead is going to have to kill a central character very soon. And I think Carol's at the top of the list. Me and Sophia stayed at that shelter for a day and a half before I went running back to Ed. I went home, I got beat up. Life went on and I just kept praying for something to happen. But I didn't do anything. Not a damn thing. Who I was with him she got burned away and I was happy about that I mean not happy but at the prison I got to be who I always thought I should be thought I should have been and then she got burned away everything now just consumes you I think that's a very um, astute observation because we saw what the show has done and how the way the show has struggled with Rick. You know, it's been something, a recurring issue for us on the podcast at various points in the series run. And they, you know, they made him, uh, you know, hardcore badass at at various times. And then what do they do next? And so then we saw him, now I'm going to be a farmer and now I'm going to do this or now I'm going to second guess myself and have visions of Lori. And and every time that they harden him and make him an effective leader, but also um, basically a, a zombie killing machine, then they have to come up with something else to do to continue his progression. And that those have not been the successful moments most of the time, at least for me, and it could just be uh, a failure in execution uh, rather than concept. But when you say now that they've made Carol this hardened warrior, what is there left to do? And I mean, I do think that there is more you can do with that character, but how do you avoid falling into the same traps of softening her, maybe, you know, giving her a love interest or we've already had her connect to, you know, children and, you know, Lizzie and Mika and then saw what happened from that. I don't think they can do go that route again, at least not for quite a while. So how do you avoid falling into the same narratives with all your different characters? Well, and that is the problem with the walking dead. And I think critics, including us don't necessarily give the show as much credit as it deserves sometimes because the thing about the show is it's a show that takes place in this post-apocalyptic zombie world in which the group of characters who we follow are always on the go they are always on the road it's not like a typical drama it's not like you know they're setting up shop or open up a business or starting an affair or having children you know it's basically like a sort of action western horror tv series right And so how much can you possibly do with these characters when they themselves don't have a community that they belong to? So that's the problem. And the thing about this episode is despite Daryl's presence, the episode is largely dedicated to Carol. I mean, this is an episode designed for her character specifically. And we get plenty of time flashing back to various points in Carol's journey, filling us in on what she was doing off screen last season, which by the way, 
didn't really give us new information once again, which is my biggest nitpick about this specific episode because we see her in those flashbacks, but she doesn't really do anything. She she notices the smoke in the air, which is a visual indicator and a nice cue, but that's about it. We don't get any new information about her her character. Yeah, uh, I, I do want to just quickly step in to say I absolutely agree about that. I have, you know, something we've been talking about on the podcast in the past, I, these are recurring themes on the podcast that we do want flashbacks. We were so excited to get some flashbacks last week and fill in some of the gaps and get a better sense of who these people were before some of the dramatic moments that we've watched them experience. But like you say, while you know, these are flashbacks we didn't need to see because they don't tell us anything we don't already know or couldn't have easily assumed. I'm glad that we spent the time with Carol. There's a few, you know, like what she was doing between um, Rick, you know, her confrontation with Rick and being kicked out basically and finding Tyrese and the girls that, you know, that was interesting to me, but we didn't really spend much time with that. Mm-hmm. And and the rest of it was all stuff that we that we knew. I like this recurrent, like you said, the fire th- motif. But for me, it was also just this this notion that the only thing that really establishes a timeline for us as viewers are the various uh, waves in the path of destruction that surround this, these characters. So, oh, there's a bunch of smoke. Which time is this? Because it's only one of the few. Like that's what where we can cue into her timeline intersecting with what we have already seen. But like you said, all these different moments that we saw, they told us things we already knew or could have assumed. And I think credit also goes to Melissa McBride for it, without have us having seen those moments in the past, she really conveyed the power of that. So we, I didn't need to see her. Uh, you know, dispose of the various bodies, you know, uh, Karen and it was, was it David, you said, at the prison, mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, Mika and, and Lizzie, because I already had seen the weight of those actions in McBride's performance. Yeah. Well, I mean, but we already know Carol's conflicted, consumed by guilt and emotionally torn up. Um, but I do like the framing device. Like, I do think it's a stylistic choice. But again, like we both agree, it doesn't tell us anything new about Carol, but she also has a really interesting line in this episode in which she tells Daryl, everything now just consumes you, which also reflects back on the visual motifs of the fire and the smoke. But again, that just makes me think that she's going to die very soon because she's talking about how everything just consumes her, like, and how, I don't know, like, how is she going to find happiness and the motivation to keep moving and keep trucking forward? Like, I just... I don't know. And also, Kate, you know what we should really talk about right now is so two weeks ago, we all agreed Carol was a Trojan horse. And then mm-hmm. last week, I was like, no, I take it back. I don't think she's going to be a Trojan horse. I think she's going to be accidentally captured. And then it turns and we out- were all like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and that's exactly <laughs> what happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I've, so much of this episode felt like it was setting up a feasible way that she could actually be incapacitated because not only is she hit by a car hitting carol with the car is not enough to knock her out she had to already previously have been injured and been in the car crash and you know i when i was watching i was like uh, these are the series of things they had to do to carol for us to believe that she wouldn't just dust off being hit by a car um so that that was entertaining to me uh that is less interesting as far as i'm concerned but you know looks like just just based on scott gimple's um, history of titling things based on the the title of this week being consumed, next week being crossed, and the midseason finale being coda. Uh, I have a feeling these are just going to be a three part one two three 
connecting the, the the end of this the season following this let's go save Beth and Carol arc, um, and and yeah, I, I will, they've done such a good job this season. I'm willing to go with them on this, but it is a little disappointing that it is so straightforward. Uh, mm-hmm. What we have going on, um, I did want to mention. You say uh, talked about mention. You said um, Carol's line about you know being consumed, and I do think that is a uh, a lovely moment. One of my favorite bits in the entire episode was actually in that scene where she talks about having been hardened by fire, basically, uh, and and at the prison finally being her best self, feeling like she was her best self, but then moving past that and losing that, not being able to hold on to that best self and, and, you know, having everything just take her these extra steps further. I thought that was really interesting. And, um, and, and, and also was very telling about who she is and who, or her image of herself. So do you think the Carol that she, the, the current, you know, the current timeline where she is now, do you think, she sees the version of herself at the prison who's like teaching children how to wield knives and stuff. Is that her when she's at her best or is that her already having gone past that? Hmm, That's an interesting question. I don't know if it's her at her best. Now we have to remember that she actually did kill David and Karen, despite what her reasons were. She did actually kill these two people and burn their bodies alive and not tell anybody in the group. Also, in this episode, she actually tries to shoot Noah. And the question is, does she actually try to kill Noah or was she just trying to stop him and slightly injure him? And I'm willing to bet that she was actually aiming to kill. So the thing about Carol is you're asking me if she's at her best when she was at the prison or now or I'm not sure what Carol's best is at this point. I mean, in a post-apocalyptic zombie world, the Carol that's willing to shoot Noah in order to make sure that they keep their weapons is most likely the best Carol in order for her to survive. But it's not necessarily the Carol that I'm going to want to like 100 percent. You know what I mean? And not necessarily mm-hmm. the character who I'm going to want to be friends with. I don't I don't know. And that my second nitpick, actually, it's not even a nitpick. It's a full out straight up complaint about this episode is. I'm confused about what the writers were trying to do with Carol and Daryl in this episode because she tries to shoot Noah when they first encounter Noah. Okay, first of all, there's two problems with that scene. First of all, she climbs through the doorway and she doesn't even think to look ahead first to make sure there's nothing behind the door. I mean, this is Carol. Like, of course, anyone who survived the zombie apocalypse this long is going to think to look on the other side of the door before they climb through, right? And then she goes to shoot Noah and then later on in the episode, she wants to save Noah and Daryl, who tried to save Noah earlier on, wants to let Noah die and leave him behind and let the zombie eat him. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I, I, I'll i give you the first part. I agree that's a plutonium moment. We need Carol to be caught with her guard down. Um, so we'll have her do this. I do think they did a good job of establishing the space, like just that, that that's just a moment of vulnerability as they're trying to get through this really tight door. I thought they did a good job establishing that, but I absolutely agree that, you know, you'd think she would have like peeked her head out or stuck a mirror or something to make sure the coast was clear, especially because they knew that there were walkers inside those tents that theoretically could have gotten out. Somehow they hadn't yet, but who knows? Um, so yeah, I'll give you that. However, um, I I do think that the especially with Daryl, I think it makes complete sense because <laughs> Daryl didn't want to shoot the kid uh, until the kid's actions, 
could have killed Carol. And then he's, you know, it's like, I don't care. You got, you almost killed one of my only friends in the entire world who I just got back recently. You're dead to me. I don't care if you get eaten alive. I absolutely bought that from Daryl. As oh, for Carol. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. As for, for Carol, you know, we get this, I, I think Daryl calling her on, you know, like, batting down her gun makes her have to reflect and that's what leads to i could be remembering the timeline wrong but isn't i think that's what leads to their their conversation about um you know going too far and and all this as well so that makes her reflect back on it and you know those two scenes very much reminded me as a as a doctor who fan of one of the moments we get with the 10th doctor in runaway bride where you know, it's like, is there a new person who's going to travel with the doctor? And, you know, the character decides not to, but she says, find somebody to travel with, because I think sometimes you need someone to stop you. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I was thinking of uh, as I reflected on that scene. It's in in, in a post-apocalyptic zombie world, like, like they said in last week's episode, everyone who's still alive is alive because they're strong. And so being able to to take out Noah being able to, to, you know, do these potentially like from our perspective or from not in the moment's perspective, horrible things. If you aren't able to do if it's, if you're not capable of that, you haven't survived this long, maybe unless you're Eugene. Um, and, and so instead of, are you able to do it? The conversation at a certain point becomes, are you able to not do it? Are you able to not leave Noah to die? Okay, you just reminded me of something else. Now, you mentioned the zombies in the tent. So there were bullet holes in the sleeping bags in a tent, right? You know, I'd have to look at the scene again. I, well, I don't... Had to be. How, did, how did the people die inside a tent and the, t- and the actual tent is zipped up and the sleeping bags as well? Like, I'm assuming someone shot those people from outside, like some snipers, but there was no bullet holes in the window. Well, they also could have, you know committed suicide with pills or they could have been sick there's a lot of different things that could have happened maybe yeah you, but you, I, I, you would think if there was a bullet hole that was reachable that they would have pulled open you know they would have ripped open the the tent but i don't know, maybe it's like the best tent ever no but i'm pretty sure i mean look we haven't watched this episode in like four days because recording our podcast late this week but i'm pretty sure there's bullet holes in the sleep in, in the in okay. the tents and sleeping bags which means that i'm assuming it's snipers who somehow aimed from across the street and fired on these poor people. Why? We don't know. Who was it? Was it the military that invaded Atlanta? Was it uh, the people who are uh, like the cops who are over at Grady Hospital? I'm not sure. But that that was kind of like weird. Because at first I was like, well, wait a minute. Are, are these people alive? Like, And then all of a sudden it was like zombies. Like I was like confused. Mm-hmm. Um, something else I want to mention, my favorite part of this episode is the big, huge action set piece which I thought was amazing. Um, one of the most memorable sequences, I think, of season five, in which they're trapped inside the van, bouncing over the side of the overpass, while a horde of zombies surround the vehicle. But again, an amazing action set piece. I especially like the camera shot from within the van, which is basically the point of view of Carol and Daryl right before the van flips over. Awesome shot. Loved watching that sequence. Full of suspense. She gets injured. It's amazing. But why in the world did they go into the van? Because they were looking for uh, just they, they couldn't fight them all off. And so that's cover. No, I know the se- okay, the second time they go in the van because they can't oh. run zombies. Well, why did they go into the van the very first time, especially when they knew the zombies were approaching again? You're talking about two 
veterans here, two people who have survived the zombie apocalypse for five seasons, two of the most badass characters we have on the show, and they're making the silliest mistakes throughout this whole entire episode. I disagree. I, they go into the van because it has the crosses on the back, and so they, they make the leap that it's associated with wherever Beth is, and they're looking for information, which is why they pull down the, the visors and there's like stacks of paper so they're looking for an address they're looking for some sort of information and the the stretcher in the car leads them to make the leap to the hospital and that's how they figure out where beth is so that's why they go in i know but they can see the zombies walking towards them like i just think that they waited around too long like maybe maybe they were just being really maybe they were being overconfident and cocky i don't know i just kind of felt like hey there's a bunch of zombies walking towards you where are you gonna escape to now in any case, it did lead to what I think was an amazing action set piece. I loved it. And um, yeah, so <laughs> great action set piece. Noah, okay, the thing about Noah is, I, I mean, it was pretty clear that he was following Carol and Daryl. I mean, we can see him in the, in the background at times. Um, so I, I don't think he was following them. I think he just didn't have somewhere else to go. And he was staying near the space that he was familiar with, which would be the vicinity immediately surrounding the hospital well no but he was following them earlier on in the episode like right before he actually gets the weapons you do see him in the background following carol and daryl like if you spraying your pvr you will see him later on he actually mentions he wasn't following carol and daryl it just happened to be coincidence that they cross paths again for the second time yeah okay Yeah. yeah i agree with that yeah Going back to the the car sequence that did, you know, like you say, I thought that was very effective. And because of the restraint shown by it, that's what really made it work for me. Um, And also the performances from the actors is over the like, well, let's buckle in because this is happening. Uh, But I love that the car doesn't flip over. I love that there's now like randomly bursting into flames. It's just it's stressful and tense enough without all of that and having the the walkers you know follow you know fall down as well makes sense but i like that they don't just all randomly walk off it's not like there's a few of them that do but the you know the majority of that horde up there is just has moved on you know and i like so i like you know the balance of of all of that as well also, I just recently watched an episode of Mythbusters. I actually took the episode to uh, one of my classes. I teach this uh, sort of like science class at the elementary school here in Montreal. I don't know if you watched it. It was the Walking Dead zombie special Mythbusters episode. Michael Rooker stars and uh, Greg Nicotero is also in the episode. That sounds kind of fun. <laughs> I have not seen it. It is so fun. you got to watch it. I actually posted it on our website, by the way. Uh, but yeah, you can watch it on YouTube. Um, but yeah, so they talk about like how to survive a zombie apocalypse, what's the best weapon used, can you actually run through a horde of zombies and not get bit, et cetera, et cetera. So when I was watching that car sequence and when the car flips over, I was thinking the exact same thing, that it looked realistic. It didn't look overblown or like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, if it was a Hollywood Michael Bay film, I don't know, the car would have like flipped over like 16 times and it would have exploded and they would have somehow survived. But somehow the show makes everything look realistic despite the fact that we have a bunch of zombies running around. So... I give them credit for any any action set piece that the show does, especially the effects. The effects are usually fantastic. And uh, I just remembered my favorite line in this episode is, I bet a dog sat in paint and wiped its ass all over that place. <laughs> I was wondering when we were going to have a little, you know, art critic corner. Uh, I, I I thought the, you know, I liked that, that uh, painting. I was with Carol on it to me it looks like a face i couldn't you know i don't know what it's trying to look like but i thought i re- i thought it was lovely and i like that they have a little i, I like how you don't know me <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> i thought that was great what 
bet this cost some rich prick a lot of money. I look like a dog sat in paint, wiped its ass all over the place. Really? I kind of like it. <laughs> Stop. I'm serious. You don't know me. Yep. You keep telling yourself that. Yeah, much needed comedy. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of on Daryl's side. I didn't really like the painting so much. But oh, that's another thing I liked about this episode: the fact that we get the city. Like I, I like I think it was two weeks ago. I was like, I want to see them back in the city. I want to see more of the world. And here we get this. First of all, we get this beautiful long shot of the landscape. Like we do see see the city from far. We get to see like this rich person's like condo, like an apartment complex. It looked like an art museum at one point. I'm not exactly sure where they were, but we get to see more than just the countryside and trees and a road and a farmhouse, which is great. So I'm all for having the group in the city for at least a few more episodes, if not for the rest of the season. Well, I, I certainly appreciated. There's that shot of Carol and Daryl. Actually, I think Daryl's on point and Carol's behind carrying the bags uh, coming up along the side of a building. It's such a long shot. Normally, when they're in the city, you know, if you're you have to shut down roads, you have to, you know, control really large area. It's very expensive to do that kind of filming. Whereas if you just kind of have a few building-y looking things, you keep everything you know, tighter shots, you can fake a lot of stuff. When they're inside the apartment, you can easily put a green screen there, you know, mm -hmm. and fake Vista. That's not that's not hard to do. So I really appreciated that shot of the two of them kind of coming up around the building and then they open the the, the door. I want to say it was like a parking garage or something. Um but I was specifically remarking they cleared up they they closed down the street. They they dressed everything to look apocalyptic y and you know I I really appreciate, like you say, this change of scenery and not just changing our uh going to the city sort of in name only i like that they actually you know found yeah. some place to film and when you talk about the look of of some of these episodes this the look of some of these scenes uh, i i loved i absolutely loved how pitch black so many of these scenes were the shadows were so rich when they were inside that that clinic i think it was the the place where carol had stayed with her daughter with sophia um I felt like I was watching the X-Files. It was it was great. Speaking of which, what did you think about Daryl burning the bodies the next morning? It was very sweet and thoughtful and I like that he, you know, just kind of takes care of it. Um and, and you know, I like and again, that's another moment where where this episode just trusts the audience to to make the leap where this is a mom zombie and a kid zombie and you know, obviously there's all of the stuff with Sophia, so Daryl just takes care of it. He says, we don't have to do it tonight. And then while she's sleeping, he you know, takes care of business because he's awesome and great. Now, you know, I think the scene in which they sleep overnight in the shelter proves that Carol and Daryl do not have a sexual relationship, uh, nor, nor is Carol sexually attracted to Daryl and vice versa. Because, OK, the thing is, I really think that especially when we do see her grab the book and put it in her bag. And I do think the book is for Daryl. I think that if you are concerned about your friend who was like sexually abused or physically abused or abused in general when he was younger and you're trying to help him cope with his abuse, you're not necessarily thinking about sleeping with this guy. I just don't, I don't know, just the way the relationship is like, like their relationship to me, it's like, I think that 
they are just friends and that's about it. Like, I don't know why the world thinks that they are sleeping together off screen. Yeah, I don't think they are either. And um, based on this, now we did have a uh, listener write in and uh, clarify the my confusion about you know while they, when they were at the prison, Carol did have a line about, "Hey, wanna you know go go do have a quickie?" Um, and and Daryl sort of like brushed brushed it off, and that's all we saw. So theoretically, that could have been happening, or she could have just been messing with him, or it could have just been a joke. There is no established canon on this. And, you know, th- that's something that I really appreciate about this. I'm saying all these things I really like about the episode, but I still find the episode to be, I, mean, I would agree with you, it's not the best of the season. But I-, I love how absolutely supportive they are and how sex does not come into it. They're some of my, most of my favorite relationships on, on TV, male-female relationships, are platonic uh, friendships or partnerships. There's mm-hmm. a lot of really good ones, uh, you know, this year on, on TV, and I'm glad to add Carol and Daryl to that. Yeah, but I think when when you when you talk about that episode in which she sort of says, "Hey, you want to go have a quickie?" I think that's the exact same episode in which, and I could be wrong, but I think it's when Glenn and Maggie were kind of having sex off in the background, and I think it was kind of like an, a joke. Like I think she was mm-hmm. like just teasing him. Yeah, so, easily could be. Yeah. Also, in this episode, it felt like or it seems like the city is less overrun by zombies than it was, say, back like in season one during the pilot. Because Absolutely. Now, do you think it's because the people at Grady Hospital are killing off most of the walkers and or is it because of AMC's or and or is it because AMC is decreasing the budget for the show? Well, it also could just be that people have it. I mean, it's such a densely populated area. So it took a while for people to the people, the walkers to sort of disperse and start heading like there aren't they they ate everybody in the city. And then a lot of people, a lot of the walkers just started dispersing. We've seen those these massive hordes in previous seasons, when especially when they're on the road. There's a few different times. Like I want to say they're like um, when Daryl and Beth hide in the trunk of that car that time because there's a massive, massive horde. So the, there's this notion that the hordes are getting larger and larger and just sort of wandering around. So my assumption would be that when there's less to eat in the city, which it's been a certain amount of time, so there's clearly less to eat, uh, the the walkers just start sort of wandering off. And enough time has gone by that while there's still a lot of them, it's not nearly as overrun as it was in the pilot. Mm-hmm. See, I think that what's happening is the zombies are heading towards, like, the forest or the woods or nature because, you know, there could be animals, deer, rabbit, whatever, as opposed to the city where... You know, what are you going to find? Maybe like a dog walking by, a cat, but eventually like, and also I don't even think, I really don't think that the zombies could catch, say, like mo- the most animals, like I don't think a zombie can actually ca- catch like a horse or uh, a cat but uh, or a dog, but there's still like cows, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, in the last episode when they're about to cross the, the farm lands, you know, the suicide mission, like they do stop, but there's like thousands of zombies ahead because those, those zombies are probably f- feeding on cows. So yeah, I think at this point in time, the best place to go is actually the city. Interesting. Well, I mean, if they, <laughs> if we touch back in with Abraham and their group, then we may see them head to a city. Who knows what that group's going to do for right now. We have a sense of what our, you know, our group at the church is going to be up to. They're going to be, you know, saving, uh, Carol and, and Beth, but we're next, you know, yeah. at a certain point, why not? This is, the only reason, the only reason I can think of why not is because a lot of these areas, they're, they're at a certain point, and I don't know how long it'll take the show to get to this point, 
you're going to run out of places where you can scrounge stuff from. And uh, that could be a good reason to get the characters on a road, have a complete change of scenery, just like go two states over or something. Be like, I always wanted to go to Texas or something. But the at a certain point, you're not going to be able to scrounge from apartment buildings and houses and, and all of that. And so what happens, you know, in, in the city, there's no, you're not going to have a space where you can try to plant stuff or or scavenge food, you know, hunting, gathering, that kind of a thing. So the same things that are going to keep the walkers heading out into the countryside, I think at a certain point will send the survivors heading out to the countryside. But that being said, who knows how cleared out some of these more formerly dangerous areas are. So like you said, maybe the best place to go is the city. Hmm. I think that is why has strong and badass has like Rick and Carol and Daryl and, you know, Michonne are, I think you're going to need people like Eugene and Herschel, people who know how to build things, people who know how to farm, people who know how to teach kids how to do things, how to educate. Like eventually you're going to have to rebuild a community and you can't rebuild a community with a thousand guys who act like Abraham. It's not happening. You know, I mean, I remember like there was that scene last week in which um, he wants to fix the fire truck. And mm-hmm. it was Tara who had to correct them. She's like, no, if you're trying to fix the engine, that's not where the engine is. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, they're going to need, like, a whole group of people that are kind of, like, a, have a specific specialty. So even in the zombie apocalypse, like, someone like Eugene might be a, you know, I mean, I won't, I won't go so far as calling him a prick. But, I mean, what he did was wrong. But I think he's still valuable to the group. So they're going to have to find guys like Eugene, which is why, again, I think... I mean, if I had to pick who's going to die next, like a lot of people think Eugene's going to die next because they're like, well, what's the storyline now? Like, I mean, the secret's out. Like, we don't need this guy anymore. And I totally disagree. I think we do need Eugene. Carol, on the other hand, I think she's my bet for the person that's going to die next. The notion that Eugene's story is done is hilarious to me because he's what, what this show is very good at doing and enjoys doing is taking people who don't seem like they are survivors and showing the way that they survive. So we saw uh, Carol, we've seen this with Carol. They tried to do it with Andrea to, you know, less successfully. We've seen them do it with Beth. We've seen them do it with, with Maggie, who seemed just like normal farm girl, girl next door. We watched her become a badass. We watched Glenn become a, basically the show takes people and then we watch them become a badass. So Eugene is at the beginning of that arc that this, this show loves to do. So there is so much story one could do with Eugene when he's there. It's a point of contention with Abraham, with Rosita, with so many different people. I mean, first of all, he's hilarious and you keep funny people around as best as you can in shows like this. And second of all, he's at the beginning of that arc. So there's a lot of story that they could do with, with, uh, with Eugene, if they want to with Carol, I I don't disagree. Um, And I think also because like we've said earlier in the podcast, Carol and Daryl do have a lot of similarities. How many people do you need in that strong, silent role? Yeah. Uh, That, that there's, you know, potentially an in Michonne as well, but Michonne has opened up, you know, that's another thing it is takes a strong, silent, you know, broken down, withdrawn person and then pulls humanity out of them. You know, we've seen that with a couple of different characters as well, but that's what makes me most, you know, feel like they, they could go that way with Carol. I just, it would require some further development because the only way I think they're going to kill Carol is if she sacrifices herself to save other people. Um, cause she's just too much of a badass. She's too much of a survivor. 
um, to not get out. So um, without, you know, it being something, a choice that she's made. So there could be things that they could do, but um, I, I, I don't anticipate it in the immediate future, let's say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, I don't want Carol to die, at least not anytime soon. I would be happy to have Carol, Daryl, and Michonne around for nine seasons. I'm just saying, if I had to place a bet, my bet mm-hmm. would be Carol. But I would much prefer they don't kill anybody big this season because they do it every year. You don't have to do it every year. I mean, the show is so popular. It's not like it's mandatory that they have to kill one of their main leads in order for the show to survive. So um, I do have one thing that I have to say before we finish the podcast, and it's I didn't like the score this week at all. Okay. And I don't know if you remember it because the thing about the score is it had – the specific song that repeated throughout the whole entire episode and the song sounded so much like that song line of fire, which they use in a breaking bad promo uh, a while back. And so the whole entire time while I was watching the episode, I, I was so distracted. I was like, okay, I know the song. I know the song. What is it? And it's not the song, but it's just, it sounds so much like it. So it was so distracting for me personally. Yeah. I definitely keyed into the recurring element to the scoring this week, but it didn't, um, stand out to me in one way or another. I certainly have not had anywhere near as many uh, Zomg the score moments this season as I have in previous seasons. So for me, I would say that is a downturn in the scoring. It also could just be that the other stuff has gotten more interesting. So I'm more focused on the performances and the writing and the direction and the cinematography. And so I'm noticing the score less. Um, but right now it feels like the score is uh, on the list of strengths for the walking dead. The score used to be like one, two, or maybe three. Now it's, it's much further down the list for me. Yeah. And you know what, for anyone that, you know, and of course we have done this in the past, but like criticize the show. I mean, this is a show which, first of all, uh, I, I, you know, a lot of times people complain about female characters in TV shows and how they don't like the way that the female characters are written. I love the way the female characters are written in the walking dead. I also like the fact that it's not a cast of just white people. I mean, it's multicultural. You know what I mean? Like, look mm-hmm. at Rosita. Look at Abraham. Look at T-Dog. Well, I mean, T-Dog, but whatever. Um, Glenn, you know? Um, the music is usually good to score. Like, not so good this season, but usually it's great. Cinematography is great. You talked early on about how we get those beautiful shots in, in, in the dark. They have a lot of night shots. Like This show does a really good job in filming sequences at night and in the dark. Uh, so great cinematography. Fantastic special effects, great action set pieces. Like this is actually shaping up to be an amazing show, which is great because we, we complained for like four seasons that it had the potential to be an amazing show, but it was just a good show. And now it's actually shaping up to be an amazing show. So I'm kind of excited. Uh, but yeah, I, I really do like this episode. I think it's the weakest entry of the season, but it's still a good episode. And it gives two of the least talkative characters a chance to express express themselves and um yeah it kind of slows down the pace for a bit and i think next week i think we're gonna have i mean we gotta have an episode in which they cut back and forth between rick grimes and abraham i think like i don't think we're gonna have one of these episodes dedicated to only like one specific group of people see i think we got to spend some time with rick because it's been too many it's been we had the abraham's group episode and then this past week you know we got the carol and daryl episode so i think next week we're gonna have to spend some significant time with with rick and so what i am anticipating um is having the the group uh so uh daryl and noah 
meet back up at the church and have them formulate the plan. The reason I could see us easily not going back to Abraham uh, all, at all is that the, the last beat we got with them, that's a, that's a mid-season finale beat. Like, where do you go with that in half of an episode with the mid-season finale right around the corner? I don't know another, like, that's a good place to cliffhang that and then come back to it next year. So that's the only reason I'm anticipating we might not get more with them. Okay, I can agree. And for our listeners who don't know, we don't watch the upcoming previews, right? Like, I don't watch Yeah, it, no right? spoilers on, on, on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so, you're basically, so you basically think they're going to cross between, uh, sorry, you think they're going to focus specifically only on Rick or cut between Rick and Daryl or have Daryl reunite with Rick and Carol like we saw in an earlier uh, flat flash forward in like what was it two or three episodes ago yeah i think we're gonna have uh, uh i think we're gonna get back to daryl in coming in with michonne saying hey and he's like come out and it's noah that we i think we'll get that we'll get stuff with uh, rick and you know maybe gabriel that that group and then i think we'll also cut back and forth with beth dealing with carol having come in and that's i think we'll those are the two locations that we'll kind of go back and forth from so we'll see what Beth is able to do from within the hospital. And then we'll also follow Rick and his group as they attempt to, to formulate a plan and, and, you know, right. Bring in the cavalry. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens next week, but two episodes left until the mid season break. Wow. Yeah. And, and like you say, when we say, or when you say, and I, I think I co-sign on that, that this is the weakest of the season that tells you about the season. Not about this episode, because this is a solid episode. It's one that we've, I mean, I've had plenty of praise for, and it's the weakest of this season so far. So that, you know, that's such an uptick in this, in, in what this show is versus what it has been in, in previous seasons. Certainly at this point, last year, at this point, we were getting our three-part governor arc. Yeah. And if you had told me last season that the weakest episode of season five would be an episode that focuses specifically on and only on Daryl and Carol, I would have said you're lying. Because, I mean, it's our two favorite characters. That's what we've been asking for for about a year now. We get it. And it's still not as strong as, as the first, what, six episodes? I think this is episode seven or episode six this is episode six yeah so it's still it's still not as strong as the first five episodes yep that's pretty good yeah way to go the walking dead i would i would the only thing that has me uh that doubtful that the walking dead will pop up on end of year best end of year critics list is because there has been so much absolutely fantastic television this year but as far as like mainstream picks go, like shows that people are actually watching, I would not be surprised to see it show up on, on, on lists. You know, Sound on Site, we do uh, a site wide poll of what are your, you know, and we put it all together and we have our Sound on Site official top whatever number of shows. And uh, there's a, we have a large community of contributors and a lot of them can't watch as ridiculous much TV as, as myself and some of our other uh, people, our contributors watch. And so this, The Walking Dead season five, I think is a perfectly respectful and uh, respectable and deserving season to be on a top top 10 at the end of the year absolutely i would not have said that Mm -hmm. previous years but this year they've earned it well and you know in the past like the past four years when we've done our like top whatever 20 i think we do top 30 shows 
um, The Walking Dead always makes the cut, but they make the the cut at like number twenty five or like entry number twenty six. Like it's never mm-hmm. in like top ten or even a top twenty. It just barely makes the cut. Um, this year, I think there's a good chance The Walking Dead can make the top twenty, maybe, but it's only because like seventeen million people watch it live, which means that there's a good chance all of our writers watch The Walking Dead. So most likely they'll vote for The Walking Dead as opposed to say I don't know like Attack on Titan, which I think there's only two people that I know that watch the show. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. But I wouldn't be like angry if someone voted for The Walking Dead this season where it has like, say, season four. I was like, really, guys? <laughs> and not even season four, but 2013. Yeah. You, you know, it's like Hannibal. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And obviously, I think everybody should watch Hannibal. Anyone who's listened to our Hannibal podcast knows that. But yeah, they think this is, you know, I, I look forward to seeing um, any articles that come out end of the year that are talking about The Walking Dead, because this 2014 is the year that The Walking Dead turned around, because the first part of the year, so the end of the previous season had all those character building episodes, and this season, they've been able to to mine all of that into to a really satisfying half season. So, I mean, so far. We still got two more. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it maintains in the last two weeks. Well, on that on that note, The Walking Dead is good. Uh, Ricky, where can our listeners find you and your work online? On Twitter, Sound On Sight. On Tumblr, Sound On Sight. And like us on Facebook. Like our Facebook page, because we are very uh, close to reaching 10,000 likes, so I'm excited. And also, watch the Mythbusters zombie special. It's amazing. Mythbusters is one of my favorite TV shows. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, certainly. Um, I, and I'll have to... I've got a, a, I've got a physical list of stuff I need to watch, so I'll have to throw that on there as well to have I mean, maybe a bit of laundry folding. You know, that could be some fun. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you can find me on Twitter at The Televerse. Of course, The Televerse is the TV podcast that I co-host at Sound On Sight covering every, everything else, basically. Um, you can also uh, email the Televerse at gmail.com if you want to do more than, you know, 140 characters. Or, of course, there'll be a post-up for this episode at Sound On Sight. You can leave us a comment there. Um, and I'll, you know, you say go watch Mythbusters. I'm telling everybody, go watch Over the Garden Wall. Go watch Jane the Virgin. Even if you hear the title Jane the Virgin and you're like, I don't care what it is. It doesn't sound like a me show. Watch it because it's amazing. If you watch the pilot, you'll like it. Yeah, I agree. Um, both excellent shows to watch. I also, I also have to recommend, once again, Attack on Titan. And uh, yeah, there's just too much good stuff to watch. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yep. And also, we do have a True Detective podcast, a Hannibal podcast, a Game of Thrones podcast over at the website www.soundsite.org. Yep. Well, this has been fun. Just kind of like laid back, chatting it up, Ricky. So thank you for spending the time. Next week, we're going to be talking about the penultimate episode, Crossed, written by uh, Seth Hoffman, directed by Billy Gearhart. Uh, Gearhart. And uh, so, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast.
Yeah. 